The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Today we're talking about a very important topic. It's been in the news a lot, um, and, you know, we really have to deal with it, and it's the subject of rape. My guest is Ashley Warner. She's the author of the award-winning rape memoir, The Year After. She's a licensed clinical social worker and board-certified psychoanalyst specializing in trauma, anxiety, transitions, loss, and sexual assault recovery. She lives and works in New York City. With an unflinching honesty and unsinkable spirit, her book, The Year After, offers a rare and intimate portrait of author Ashley Warner's emotional journey following a break at the age of 24. And she writes all about this. She, she also explains her arduous experience in participating in criminal prosecution after the rapist is identified in a lineup that takes hold of her life daily and alters it. Welcome, Ashley. Oh, thank you, Patricia. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, and I also want to tell our listeners that your book, The Year After, received the 2014 Reviewer's Choice Award for Best Memoir and was a finalist in the 2014 International Book Awards Best Nonfiction Narrative Category. That's, that's quite an honor. Oh, thank you. I, I think so, too. Um, I was uh, thrilled that it's been so well received. You know, it's a risk to put a personal story like that out there into the world. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let, I'm going to ask you some of those questions. I know you've answered them before. They're not pleasant, but it's important. What were your reactions in the immediate aftermath of, of this rape? Were they typical? Are they typical of other people? What would you say? Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, what I now know is a very typical reaction um, in the aftermath, both short-term and long-term, of trauma. Um, I was raped at the age of 24 by a stranger who had been lurking in my apartment building. Mm-hmm. He followed me up the stairs, and when I opened my door, he jumped me. And this is sort of uh, what people typically think of when they think of rape. Um, I always like to start out saying that that's not the typical um, rape scenario. It's more likely that uh, rape happens with a friend or acquaintance. Um, but other than that, my Emotional reactions were very common. Um, in the immediate and, and anticipatory stage, I had an uh-oh feeling, which I now know is so common that people anticipate something terrible happening right before it happens. You have an instinct. And I did as well. 
and uh, that instinct would haunt me for, you know, months to come, feeling like it must have been my fault since I didn't act on my impulse. But that's a very common precursor to what's about to happen in trauma. And, you know, during the trauma itself, I had the very typical reaction or very common reaction of dissociating. Um, in, in the moment of having that, that first anticipatory reaction, people, that's the fight, flight, or freeze reaction that a lot of people report. I froze, which I think is a little bit more common than people who, you know, fight um, or flee, although those are certainly reactions that could ha- happen as well. When you, say, when you say freeze, is that like being numb, like going numb? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, I, uh, you know, I was just essentially unable to react. It's kind of going numb. It's just sort of, uh, sort of emotionally and in my head, making myself as small and invisible as possible, which of course uh, isn't effective. You're still there alive, but you know, it's, it's sort of an, a, a psychological attempt to disappear, essentially. So I froze. Um, and, you know, began to kind of cut away from my body. I had the experience that I was floating above and watching what was happening, and all of these are experiences that, indeed, you will hear um, survivors report, um, you know, over and over again. Um, And then after uh, the rapist left, um, that's when the fear hit me. It was actually after it was already over. In the, in the crisis moment, it's just a matter of, you know, like I said, I disconnected. You sort of kind of get through it. Your body and psyche does. And then it was sort of afterwards that I felt uh, terror and fear. Um, and then after I called 911, I sort of had this really eerie focus, or at least I thought. I sort of was hyper-focused on what I should do you know, how to get help for myself, you know, how to handle the immediate aftermath. And after I did all of that and I knew that help was on the way and that I had touched base with a friend, I'd gotten in hold of somebody, and then I sort of started to um, detach and become more and more numb and um, uh, confused and disoriented. And, yes, all those are very typical reactions. Uh, So... What, um, you're helping survivors now. Is that, is that pretty much, that's what you're doing. You're really helping victims. What, what's one of the first things you do? Because as you said, they react different ways. Some freeze, some fight, some flee. How do you first work with somebody who said to you that they've been raped? Well, I've had a different, a, a variety of different roles. Uh, as a helping professional working with survivors of sexual trauma. Uh, When I was in training to become a therapist, I worked and trained for for a while at a violence intervention program, and I worked and volunteered for a while as a crisis respondent. So the hospital would call me when a rape survivor um, came in, and I would actually go to the emergency room and, you know, meet with somebody in, in the immediate aftermath. And a role there is really to support someone through it, to help them understand what their options are, uh, to help normalize their feelings and reactions in the aftermath, you know, to really just sort of be a support through very practical matters, 
um, but also sort of a coach through the overwhelming um, emotional response or, or, you know, the numb. People can be uh, taken aback by how disconnected and numb they feel, too. So, So it's really sort of a coach through the immediate process. In my life now, I work as a psychotherapist and psychoanalyst in private practice, as you mentioned, and typically people uh, who, are, um, who come to me are a little past that stage, um, you know, out of the initial shock and trauma and could be anywhere on this scale from, you know, in the first weeks to many years following, following so a is that um, part of, would you say that's sexual part of assault. PTSD, the, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome? Um, I beg your pardon? Would you say that that's part of P- PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome? Mm-hmm. Yes, post-traumatic stress disorder um, can set in uh, in response to, you know, as I'm sure we're all familiar, a variety of different traumas, including sexual trauma, um, and can involve the symptoms that I've described. And when they're prolonged... Um, and, you know, typically the, the reactions I describe happen um, very commonly, and often they, the effects sort of dwindle through time. The, the, the severity of the symptoms fade away. Sometimes they do not. Sometimes they develop into post-traumatic stress disorder. That's when you um, have a, you know, you might have intrusive recollections of the event. You might have trouble sleeping. You might have somatic symptoms and so on. You might be very easily startled. Um, these are reactions that kind of indicate that your symptoms have, have kind of taken flight and, uh, you know, and uh, really warrant, I think, more professional help to kind of guide you through them. And so post-traumatic stress disorder can happen, you know, within a few weeks and it can persist for years uh, if untreated. I think, well, my two questions are how do you treat it and how do you help people who then have difficulty with intimate relationships after this experience? Well, I think it's important to put, as a therapist, I put myself into my patient's shoes as much as I can. And I think it's really important to meet a survivor where they are within their own journey. Of healing, and again, it could be anywhere from the shock and numb disbelief stage early on to someone who has suffered with symptoms for years and years. Um, and I think it's really important to meet them wherever they are within that healing journey. Um, and I think it's really important that you don't uh, confront um, feelings. You, you know, our job as a therapist is not to try to talk somebody out of their experience or try to convince them why uh, they shouldn't feel the way they feel, but it's very much to meet them where they are and help them make sense of these feelings as uh, expectable uh, reactions in the face of such a significant trauma. Um, so it's someone to a therapy as a therapist, I help somebody put their narrative back together essentially to help them fill in the gaps in their story to help them make sense uh, as best you can of what's happened um, and you know help integrate what's happened into someone's life instead of have it uh, be this um, you know this separate entity that haunts them forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, what you know, and some of the techniques, part of that, Ashley, yeah, what are some of the techniques 
that you have used with your clients' patients that have been effective? I'm trained as a psychoanalytic psychotherapist, and my particular theoretical orientation uh, is called self-psychology, and it's really about that empathic connection with someone. I think it's a very useful um, orientation for working with survivors especially um, because, you know, it, it, it's about what I just described about really putting yourself in someone else's shoes and privileging someone else's experience and journey um, and taking as subjective truth what someone is teaching you as opposed about their own lives as opposed to, you know, trying to correct them. Um, so... Talking and listening is, you know, it might sound like nothing, but it, it really can be a very powerful tool for healing. When someone feels understood, um, instead of having someone, you know, trying to talk them out of the way they feel or correct the way they feel, when someone feels understood, they're freer to um, ask their own questions, you know, begin to explore their, you know, their own um, thoughts and feelings and behaviors and to feel safer to dive more deeply into ambiguity and, you know, conflict. And, and that is, I think, a very powerful journey of healing. When someone is not in the place because they are too traumatized, that they aren't in a place where they can talk in that way if they're overwhelmed with emotion, um, I also do some uh, breathing work um, that can be a great starting place with someone who's, who's just too overwhelmed uh, to begin to talk. Do you find, Ashley, um, that it's hopeful that people can get through this and have fulfilling lives with partners or without partners? I, mean, I guess the real question is, can, you know, how damage is it, damaging is this? Or I guess it depends on the experience, correct? Right. There's, I mean, well, I'll say first that I hope my, my overall message is that healing is possible in a full and complete life that is not defined by sexual trauma is possible. Um, mm-hmm. But, of course, the severity of symptoms uh, can depend on a number of things, um, depending on, you know, how prolonged the attack was, how much physical damage, uh, or, you know, uh, one might have been exposed to, and, and so on and so forth. And also an important mitigating factor uh, in, you know, in, in uh, lessening the effects of sexual trauma is how quickly uh, someone receives help. So this is really... You know, it's a really important fact to understand when you talk about community response to sexual violence that you want to make sure a survivor has access to um, to help immediately um, and sensitive help. You know, caring, understanding help because that has been shown by the research to have an impact on how quickly someone heals and uh, you know and lessens their. Um, you know, chances of getting PTSD, for example. Very important. What is your message, Ashley, in your book? Well, I think I have a couple of messages. Uh, You know, the idea for the book came to me 
in the middle of my own healing process. You know, I was still screaming into, uh, you know, into pillows and pounding the sofa when the idea came to me that someone should write about this. You should know what this is really like. Like many survivors, when I was going through my healing process, I searched out anything I could find to read from other survivors, from other people who had been through it. It's really an isolating experience, most people will tell you. And I, like many people, was just hungry for, you know, for anybody who could kind of, you know, had been ahead of me and could shine a light. And I found a lot of great stuff, but what I didn't find... Um, is sort of from the trenches day by day report about about what it's like, um, and so that's the book I set out to write, uh, the one that I wanted to read when I was recovering. So, first of all, I wanted to you know to show that roller coaster, the ups and downs, the the dark humor, the loneliness, the rage, the you know um, you know the whole gamut of experiences. The feelings of isolation, the way it felt like people let me down, uh, the people that were there for me. Um, and, you know, I've heard back from survivors at this point that, uh, that you know, much to my happiness, that has communicated, you know, that people have found comfort in that. And then, like I mentioned a moment ago, my other message is that healing is possible, that it is possible to get out the other end of this. And um, and even be uh, stronger for it and wiser for it. What would you say in your own life? How would you say this has affected you in terms of changing your life for the better? Well, again, initially, I think with any trauma, you know, any tragedy, and we all, you know, no one's exempt in life. We all go through something. And I think when it happens, it's important, first of all, uh, to recognize that you've got to go through it. You know, in my experience, personally and as a therapist, um, there's no way around the pain. There's no way around, um, you know, the, the journey of going through a tragedy and a trauma. Um, so there's a time for healing. But ideally in our lives, those traumas and tragedies, these trials, um, you know, cause us to begin asking questions. Um, why did this happen? Why me? Um, what could this possibly, you know, mean in life? Why do these things happen? You know, they, they cause you to ask the bigger questions, and not that everybody is cut out or interested in being a healer um, in a healing profession or a philosopher, um, but I think that most people are most content when they've tackled and answered at least for themselves some of those questions. So that certainly was my experience, is that, you know, such a trauma, this tragedy really caused me to say, what is going on and why? And why me? And, you know, I, I came to answers that made sense for me. Um, and Now you're helping many people. So, I mean, through that? your own experience, you're, you're able to help so many people. Well, I think, I feel like that was my calling, if you will, um, eventually, is, is to 
recognized that, you know, I think I had something to share and that, and too, that I, I was interested in sharing it. I was interested in helping. Um, I think you can live a perfectly lovely, fine life without that being your calling. And, and just, I think when you're, you know, true to your own interests and true to your, yourself, you can be an example to others, even if you're not an active, you know, helper or, or advocate. But uh, it's certainly something that has been important for me to do um, that I felt like I, I wanted to contribute. Now, guilt and self-blame are often resistant to consolation. You know, if you say, if, if you try to console someone, how do you deal with the guilt and blame, with, um, which is often a common reaction to, for survivors? Yeah. Guilt, self-blame is pretty much universal um, in the aftermath of sexual violence. And we can appreciate it as a way that survivors are trying to make sense of uh, the trauma and that feeling like you're in control of what happened, as terrible as that is, it's, it feels a lot safer than living in a world where, you know, such a, a traumatic, tragic surprise could happen to you, you know, and suddenly the world feels unsafe and what was safe and true a moment ago no longer is, you know, that's really devastating and foundation shaking. So it's, you know, even though it's the lesser of, of two terrible choices, um, you know, feeling like it is our fault, the survivor's fault, or that we're to blame is a way of trying to come to terms with that. And I think that that's a really important point for people who are trying to help survivors, uh, an important point for them to understand. And that while it's you know, understandable and there's nothing wrong with assuring someone that it's not their fault. Uh, I think it's most helpful to help someone understand why it is that they think it is their fault. It's not very useful in general to confront someone's conviction. You know, when someone is talking about feeling like the rape or sexual assault was their fault, it's not an intellectual process that they're engaged in. It's an emotional one. It's, it's a real guttural kind of trying to make sense of things. And so confronting those kinds of convictions in general doesn't, um, doesn't work. You want to so meet it at an emotional level if you can. And I think it's a lot more useful, you know, given that, to say things like, I, you know, I can really hear how you are looking for every possible explanation for what happened to you. You know, I hear how you're trying to make sense of this. Um, you know, so Or how about I hear how you feel shamed and, and sad? Absolutely. You know, acknowledging that someone else is feeling what they're feeling. Um, you know, again, talking about how important it is to feel understood. That where you know, you're Ashley, validating their feelings without confronting their... Do you feel that having them write their feelings is helpful? If someone is drawn to write their feelings or journal, as so many survivors are, I think it is a wonderful idea. Um, and it, that's certainly how my... You know, my book, The Year After, came to be. I journaled throughout the whole process. Um, you know, editing came later, but, but the process of journaling through it is very cathartic and help, can help you sort, sort through what it is that you're feeling. 
So we have a couple minutes left. What can someone do to help a victim of sexual violence combat these feelings of guilt and shame? I mean, I think you've just said, let them share and identify with their feelings. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's number one. I think if you're a friend or loved one of someone who is going through healing from sexual violence, um, it's important, I think, to know what you can't do as well as what you can. What you can do is be there and provide that support. Um, You can be there and, and validate their feelings in ways that we're just talking about. You can be there and uh, help them, um, you know, sit in the waiting room with them for their follow-up doctor's appointments or accompany them to any other kinds of meetings with attorneys or law enforcement if that's something that happens. So there's a lot of ways that you can be there for someone. I think it's important for someone to recognize that they cannot and uh, don't need to fix somebody um, that uh, it's important to, you know, call in professional help, um, not only for the sake of the loved one who is survivor, but for the, you know, for the sake of everyone else too. It can be exhausting for everyone around the survivor as well, trying to process this. Um, and help. so calling in professionals is helpful for everyone. All right. What would you like to leave our listeners with about, the, you know, your book? And also, you know, if somebody has been raped or sexually assaulted, I know your message is of hope, but what would you like to leave our listeners with today? And, and about your book, which is very, very powerful, The Year After, which again received the 2014 Reviewer's Choice Award for Best Memoir and was finalist in the 2014 International Book Awards Best Nonfiction Narrative Category. So what would you like to leave our listeners with? I hope that the year after and um, my work in general will help just a few more people even come forward. It's, it's difficult to come forward. There's a lot of reasons that it's you know, hard for people to come forward with what happened, but the more people do, uh, the more that we're able to prosecute, you know, investigate and prosecute offenders, and that's really the best way to guarantee that sexual assault um, ends. Thank you so much. And how can people find your book, Ashley? Uh, You can reach me at ashleywarner.com, and that will take you to every other social media (laughs) um, uh, connection you might want to find. All right. Thank you so much for being on the program. Oh, thank you so much, Patricia. Uh, Hang on for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this part of Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Stay with us. We have another interview coming up next. We'll be right back. We're here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 